following podcast represents the perspectives of the host and our guests. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent those of our places of work. Hello and welcome to Parcels of Info, an NBC podcast, our most efficient way to deliver parcels of valuable information straight to the healthcare supply chain. My name is Liz and I'm here today with our first co-host, Ian Farty. He's the vice president of marketing for NBC, and I'm sure most of you are aware he is an, a social media influencer on the side. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, self-proclaimed social media influencer, but I appreciate it. Thank you. I proclaim it as well. I think you fit the bill. Um, but Ian and I are very excited to be here today with Joe Grispo. Joe is the chief sales officer for B. Braun Medical. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. It's my pleasure. I actually like to think of Ian as just a legend. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this is so far my favorite podcast, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That means we're going to have a great recording. Today, we're, we're uh, jumping right into IV Solutions amid a pandemic. Bebron is a global leader in IV Solutions, which is um, just incredible. They're a great company. And um, Joe, I would love to hear a little bit more about Bebron's experience with the IV, IV Solutions supply and demand throughout the pandemic. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely crazy. Um, you know, if you think about it in the beginning when it started, I mean, we were at our national meeting in February, and we were more concerned about the flu at that point. So, uh, and the flu for us... Uh, when you have IV solutions, the flu is, if it's a serious flu season, uh, it's something that we have to watch carefully as demand jumps. Um, but uh, by the time we got back uh, and um, closed our offices uh, in uh, in March, we realized we had something really serious on our hands. And of course, IV solutions are in the middle of that uh, because it's how they're delivering care, medication, all those things. And um, uh, But there wasn't a lot of information as to what exactly was going on. I think uh, the end users and the distributors, rightly so, started to uh, bring in more product uh, than they normally would. Uh, not necessarily a stockpile, but just a, a little bit higher level, thinking that maybe they were going to need it like a, like a flu season. So we kind of watched that happen. And as the whole thing unfolded, um, it was kind of like you're chasing, you know, chasing a shadow because they kept changing what is the therapy they're going to be doing, what is the issue, what do they need. Um, and then at the same time, you started to see that if the hospitals started to fill up, they started to cut back on um, on normal day-to-day -day surgeries, uh, elective surgeries, uh, outpatient surgeries. So then you saw a major drop-off in the usage of those products because now all the, the normal patient flow is not coming through. So it was um, it was really a, a crazy ride, and um, and I think everybody was looking for information um, uh, because we were flying a little bit blind uh, in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Joe, where would, where, when you're constantly getting this information back, how did you guys sort of decipher? Was it the same information from across many different points of care or was there any continuity in it at all? Well, it was, you know, it wasn't because so we, we immediately formed a COVID supply team. So like everybody, you had all these different COVID teams that you had. Well, we had a supply team that a number of us were on. And so it was different um, uh, by care setting. And it was also different by part of the country. Because if you think about how it unfolded, we had these really bad hotspots. You know, you had New York City 
Uh, you had Southern California, then it was Chicago, then it was New Orleans. So it was trying to gauge, and then in the middle of the country, not so much uh, early on, and then that changed. So uh, you were just trying to get information from all, all points. And I think uh, that's where we did lean on uh, quite heavily uh, the distributor community because you're, you're, you've got a direct contact into uh, these facilities. So you could see what was going on uh, and so we were constantly trading uh, information back and forth as to what are you seeing, what I'm seeing, what about this, do we need to stock up on this? Uh, it, but it was a lot of communication uh, early on. In a short period of time. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> right. Wow. What issues initially did the pandemic cause from the manufacturer standpoint? I know we just talked about how the supply and demand was up and down. How have you been able to keep up with this fluctuating supply and demand? Well, you know, I think that's a great question. I think early on it was, um, so it's a pandemic. It's everywhere and it affects everybody. So we're in a position where we have manufacturing plants that we absolutely have to keep up and running. So while we sent, uh, you know, we deployed 1,100 people home in about 24 hours, those are the people that could go home. But our manufacturing people, our quality people, they all had to keep coming in. And so we had to go through just a tremendous amount of work to make sure that they were safe. So first step, first problem, just like everybody else, PPE is in shortage. So masks, gowns, uh, all those things that um, that they need to wear when they're in, you know close to each other in the plant, we, we had to make sure we had a supply of those. Thankfully, we, we did, but we had to continue to get the supply. We had to um, obviously separate the, the people out a bit more, make sure there was, uh, we had to put, you know, these, you know, these big plexiglass, uh, um, uh, frames around them so that they were separated from one another. Uh, and then our manufacturing locations had to even go through the process of uh, reorganizing all of the shifts because now you couldn't have the same number of people in the building. There were all kinds by state it was different. Uh, and then on, you know, on top of that, you have to start to then even figure out the simple things like how do we get them into the building and screen them? How do we get them out of the building? How do we make sure we take care of them when they're in the building, feed them in the building? I mean, every single thing that you don't even think about uh, on a day-to-day, normal day-to-day, suddenly was something we had to spend hours and days thinking about. So it was um, it was crazy, but I'm, I'm very proud of our organization and the people that run our plants uh, and our quality people because they we, we, we did not have any disruptions whatsoever in our manufacturing of any of our, our plants. And we have one in California. Uh, which was a hot spot. We have we have a, a big one here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we also had our own issues here, but um, we we did not have uh, any problems. That's amazing. You know, you you think about what you know. People are looking, and, and Liz, jump in. They're they're looking for more of your finished product, and few times do they really understand what the warriors went through, who are are equally on the front line. You know, and and what the corporations needed to do to to pull this off. There's so many hidden costs and not not even costs, just hidden time and labor behind all the precautions you need to take when producing products and delivering them in a pandemic. It's things things that I would never think of until now. Yeah, I think I think when you when you go down, I don't like throwing around the the hero word too often. I think it's getting overused a bit, but I, I do have just the utmost respect for. The people that went in uh, to our plants and did the work, because it was early on, it was really scary. You had no idea what it was, that what was going on, and they had to keep going in. Um, and then for the distributor community, you know, you, you folks were having to deliver things 
to the locations that are taking care of patients that have COVID. Also a, a bit of a scary situation. So those people kept it moving. Uh, you know, we, we all got to go home and do our work from home um, and direct things, you know, from the safety of our homes. They, they were out there. And I, I, I just think that's, um, I think that's a pretty incredible thing. So true. So true. You know, I think the other thing, too, that came into play, um, then as I think of that, that last question, too, is one of the things that we did, and we did it together with the distributor community, and I know sometimes it's a, it's a word people don't like to throw around too often. It has a bad, a, a bad part to it. It's, we, we really got into an allocation process, um, and we, we had really put that together uh, years before when there was an IV shortage, and we had put together really an allocation process that very much includes uh, the distributor community and the reason for that um, is is really to keep uh, people from stockpiling and cleaning us out uh, and having product where it doesn't need to be uh, or in too much supply in a certain area so we were able to make sure everybody got what they needed based you know based on what they were asking for but then it also allowed us to uh, react to the hot spots and make sure that when an emergency came up or we got a call from the government or from uh, whoever that we, we could respond. So we were able to outfit two of the uh, Navy ships that they used, the Comfort and the Mercy. Uh, they outfitted both of those ships. One was in uh, New York and one was in California. And we had our pumps on there. We had IV solutions on there. We had uh, our, you know, our IV catheters, all the things that you would need to take care of patients. And those ships were not deployed to take care of COVID patients. They were to take overflow from hospitals that were overloaded with COVID patients. So New York and, and Southern California got them first. But if we hadn't done an allocation and we weren't working uh, to protect what we had, we wouldn't have been able to react to any of that. And then we may have had a problem. It's interesting what you said about the word allocation, because I know it's it's a taboo word for so many people and it's a, it has a negative connotation. But in this instance, it was very helpful and it, um, it's a good thing, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing, you know, because we've been dealing with allocations, but you don't stop to think that you're allocating it to the hotspots where people might not have had that volume before, and now it's a critical point for them to have that product. So, so a great end to, a, to a, you know, a story like allocating product. Yes, um, and then I know something else that has come with the pandemic have been some product innovations from the manufacturer standpoint at Bibron, do you want to talk a little bit about your IV extension sets? Um, I know Bibron is an industry leader in custom IV sets. So how did that practice lend to the experience of developing a new product for COVID? Yeah, I think it was kind of back what we were talking about in the beginning. As, as it was unfolding, you started to hear where the pinch points were, where the problems were. And again, early on, there was a shortage of, of masks, especially masks. Uh, and so what was happening in the hospitals is... Um, the, the, the nursing staff, they were had doctors, they were having to go into uh, the patient room that has COVID sometimes without a mask. And, um, and sometimes just to, uh, just to look at the IV, make sure that, that, you know, that the, the IV is not getting ready to run out, uh, if an alarm went off. Um, so what we did is we created an extra long uh, tubing and extension set. And we did it in a, in a really short period of time and rolled it out uh, within a couple of months of getting the idea, we had it out there. And what it allowed for was for the pump, the IV pump to actually be outside the closed door of the room that the patient was in, the COVID patient was in, so that if an alarm went off, if they needed to change the bag or put medication in, 
they didn't have to go into the room to do that. So we had a run on that when it first came out. We couldn't make it fast enough to get it out there. But again, we found that it was going more into the areas where they were having a real problem with, with the number of patients. Again, New York and California were probably the first to really take that product on. And then it kind of spread out throughout the country. And now we're starting to see it die down. I think, I think um, you know, I think we've gotten a, a better handle on, on the PPE and, um, and things. So I, they're, they're not in as much of need as that. But what it showed us was our ability to move quickly um, when we needed to. And um, we'll take that forward into the future to say, okay, it may not be an emergency, but if I want to develop a new product, I know it doesn't take forever now. Okay, we can actually very quickly. And we're not talking, this, this blew my mind when I heard this number. You know, we're talking in excess of 200,000 of these were deployed in the U.S. So, you know, you talk about the need for it, the necessity of invention, innovation, and then the mass deliverance over almost a quarter of a million of these were dispatched into the country. Yeah, and think about you're, you're trying to make a new product from a manufacturing standpoint while all this is going on. So we, they're having to suddenly change a lot of the things that they're doing to, to, to produce this uh, in multiple locations um, so that we can make it work while dealing with all the other issues that they were dealing with. So again, I, I, I couldn't be more proud of the, the manufacturing arm of our group. This is a great example of the healthcare industry getting creative when we need to be in something like a pandemic. Can we just briefly talk about how are these extension sets designed to limit frequent exposure to the virus? It's really the, just the ability to have the pump outside the door instead of inside. It was really just a matter of keeping distance between the patient right. and the caregiver. Um, once, you're, once you have proper PPE, there, there's really no, there's really not a big reason for you to have that because the, the one thing you do lose when you're having to be outside the door is you're, you're not making contact, eye contact with the patient. And of course, they still had to go into to do all the other things you do with the right. patient. This just allowed for some of the simpler things like change an ID bag or check an alarm. I don't have to go into the room. So um, it was just something that we thought we could do quickly that would help protect the, 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 the nursing community out there. Because they're... They're not sure what they're dealing with either. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a layer of protection for them. Yeah, it's very tight for those folks. Now, while we're on the topic of B Brown products, I want to talk about the IntroCan Safety IV Catheter with Automatic Passive Safety. This is a major safety device that B-Bron has recently designed that is raising the standard in needle stick prevention. Using passive safety engineered devices is actually the number one way to protect from needle stick injuries. This device generates less waste with smaller, lighter components and by reducing needle sticks, materials, and waste, helping you cut costs and go green. For more information on this innovative medical device, visit bbronusa.com. Now, Joe, what steps is Bbron taking to ensure IV product is out there and available to healthcare professionals? So this this is something that's a great question too. We this is stuff we've been working on for years now. Um, so we make our IV solutions, uh, which are the ones we're talking about right now. We make those in Irvine, California. So everything's being made on one coast, um, and um, we, we've we've long known that we needed to have really a, a, a second facility 
uh, and put it on the opposite coast. So we, we are we are opening a plant this year in Daytona Beach, uh, and um, it will be a full-blown IV plant. It will it'll be making product just like the Irvine plant, which will allow us to have production on both coasts. But when you take it to the next level of of, of COVID um, pandemic, like the one we just went through, it's even more important because what was the first thing that happened when all this started? We closed down the borders. We closed down the borders. Other countries closed their borders. There was nothing coming from anywhere. So for a little while, you're almost on your own. And so it's becoming more and more important. We're being asked in a lot of uh, a, a lot of the bids and RFPs are wearing, where are your products made? Uh, do you have... Um, uh, duplicate sites, and now now we're, we have duplicate sites all in the U.S. All this product, our sets, everything is all made in the U.S. So we're we're in a position where we know even if the borders were to close down, we have everything that we need here to, to keep the, the U.S. Uh, hospitals and outpatient markets um, fully outfitted with everything they need to deliver care. It's like a silver lining to you know that original barrier to getting those products now. We have so many yeah. more things that are U.S. made. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing we did, too, is, is um, besides putting in another plant, we also increased substantially the capacity in our in our current plant. We added more machinery in there um, so that we could produce more in the plant that we have as well so that we could continue to, um, you know, just continue to up the, the, the level of, of uh, capacity that we have across the U.S. Uh, and into Canada. Yeah, I don't think everyone realized what could happen to, to U.S. healthcare if the borders closed. Uh, you, you know, it was never really a, a, an issue or never really was sort of a, a, a situation you had to prepare for. And, and here we are now ready for, you know, this to ever happen again. That's it's an amazing. You're right, Liz. It's a huge silver lining. Now, what are some other factors, Joe, that you would say are affecting IV solutions amid the this global pandemic? Um, and how, how would you say we go about solving the problems that COVID has brought light to? Yeah, so I, I think it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting uh, process to go through. Uh, and there were a lot of people involved in it. And I think where we started to really get a bit concerned um, was when the, was when the government stepped in. Uh, we spent a lot of time with FEMA. We spent a lot of time with the White House, a lot of time with all the different agencies, uh, Department of Defense even. Uh, we were involved with, obviously, with the ships that we outfitted. Uh, but part of what we, we heard early on was this, uh, was what they were wanting to do or thinking about doing was stockpiling product um, and then um, somehow getting it delivered to wherever it needed to go. And so we spent a lot of time with um, multiple uh, outside parties, um, uh, industry uh, associations like Haida and Avamed. Uh, we spent time on the Hill ourselves as an organization, really making sure that they understood that there is a super strong network set up already between us as the manufacturer of IV solutions and the distribution community that already has our product all over the country and is got, has it all worked out for deliveries, has the volumes, has all, all eyes on everything that has to happen. And if you were to step in the middle of that, in the middle of a pandemic, we'd have a real problem on our hands. Any, as strong as it is uh, of a network, in a, in a time like that, it becomes fragile. And if you, if you, if you, if you just 
pulled something out of the middle of it, we really would have a problem on our hands. And thankfully, um, all of the agencies that we work with really listened and they, and they pretty much watched what was going on and stayed out of the way as far as stepping in the middle of that relationship. So having the distributors deliver the product and make it really help us. And also if there was a hot spot in a certain area, we weren't sending it to a hospital. We were sending it to a distributor that was servicing that area because quite honestly, they had the ability to get into the area. It was also not easy to just waltz into New York City or anywhere else. It was uh, it was quite difficult and the distributor community did a great job. Um, if I would take it one step further and very specific to uh, NDC and the distributor community that you serve, so these, these are really important distributors because of their size. Um, and, and there's so many of them. If we, if we had to get product out to everybody that the NDC network is servicing and how diverse and spread out that group is, we would not have been able to do it. It just would not have worked. So the idea that we were able to work with NDC, that they have a central warehouse and they're dispersing to their membership, it's just a perfect setup. And while it works really well for us in good times, it was mission critical um, during COVID. It just it just was. So we felt like we were really ahead of the curve because of how we're how we're set up and the relationships that we have. But um, I would say that was probably the, the biggest piece. And and I think we have a you know we have a new uh, a new uh, president. We have, he's got a new cabinet, and you know we're going through the same process now because we're still in this of just educating them on kind of here's how it works, here's what we've been doing, here's how we reacted. Um, you know, in the first peak uh, that came. So um, I, I think we'll, we'll continue to have cooperation uh, from the government. And when this is over, it may be that they want to stockpile. And that may be a very good thing to do, but it also may be something, and Ian, you can probably have some thoughts on this. Um, it, it may be that the, uh, that the distributor community can serve in that, in that respect, because um, the problem I have in the past with government stockpiles is the problem of turning the inventory and then if you don't, you waste the inventory or maybe it's not where it needs to be. So Ian, I don't know if you have any thoughts around how you serve there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it, you know, when we were chatting about this, it, it began to wonder, you know, the kind words on distribution, but it, it's really, you know, the it, it's proof of the distribution channel and the value of distribution um, in good times and bad, I guess. And, and when you think about government stockpiling and taking product out of the channel um, for emergency situations, that's not 100% necessary. There is a way to turn it before it expires. There is a way to get it to the points of care that need to be. And there is a way to ensure that there, there's no waste in the channel. You know, we've all talked for years about eliminating waste in the, in, in the healthcare channel. And and here's a way for distribution to step in and, and be a part of this. So, um, you know, that might be another another silver lining, if you will, that comes out of this is the distribution finally was called into battle. And um, and, and as we're seeing from from not only Joe's comments, but from comments from other manufacturers, uh, the role NDC plays with the independent distributor and national distributors really uh, came into light and, and proved to be a valuable asset to the manufacturing customers that we have. So we see stockpiling as a, as a big issue, as a necessary issue. Um, uh, but we also think there's a role to make sure that there's not waste reintroduced into the supply chain. 
Yeah, and I think you know one of the other things that we're doing that we've been doing now, and we're, we'll continue to do it until this is over, is we're just trying to stay very much in touch with what's the next therapy, what's the next thing they're going to do to try and help these patients, or to, you know, to, to keep this from happening, so that we can look across our portfolio globally and say, is this an area we can help, or is this not an area we can help? So, for example, right now, front and center is getting everybody vaccinated. Well. Do you have enough needles and syringes? Uh, while that's uh, a big business for us globally, and we're very involved in that globally, it's just not a for the U.S. It's not a it's not a big business for us here. So, um, uh, but those are types of things we're trying to stay in front of. Uh, right now, you're probably hearing on the news a lot of um, you know the use of ventilators, um, and um, you know, the, one of the issues that's popped up there is uh, there's a shortage of the irrigation fluid that they use for that. Uh, one of the manufacturers, I think, is having an issue. So um, we've been trying to up our because we know knew that and found out about that. We upped our uh, our you know our production of the product that we make that can be used that way. And so we're we're trying to push that out into the marketplace where it's needed until um, people are back on their feet. So it's going to be. I think it's just a work in progress. We're just going to have to stay vigilant on what's going on and what, you know, what are we seeing out there? And again, that communication coming from all directions helps for sure. Anticipating these things and planning ways to get in front of this, if it happens again or something similar happens is so important because what we all have been through over the past year, year plus. Before we wrap up, um, wanted to ask you for a piece of advice, like given what you've seen working closely with all sides of the supply chain, do you have um, any advice you can uh, give us, give the industry? Yeah, you know, I think um, like we've been talking, I think it's all about uh, communication between the manufacturer, uh, the distributor, uh, and then the caregivers. I mean, that that's the, that's the supply chain in a nutshell. And I think the communication and transparency is absolutely critical uh, that that we, we have it um, because the caregivers have enough on their hands worrying about are they going to have what they need and where is it coming from shouldn't be at all what they're thinking about. So I think that puts the onus on us as the manufacturer to do everything we can do to make it and to get it to the distributors who are going to deliver it where it needs to be. Uh, I think those are, I think we, we, we've just got to keep doing that. I, I, I would again put a plug in for participating in industry um, um, uh, groups like Haida, as example, and Avamed, where um, we're bringing together distributors uh, and manufacturers into one room, and we're talking about the problems that our collective customers have uh, in good times and in bad. Uh, and in, in the bad times, um, there's a lot of good conversation that goes on. Uh, we had a lot of calls with Haida when this was all, while this has been going on uh, to find out what's going on and how we should be working together and just making things visible to one another so that we can react. And if you get enough, if you have enough time, we, we're, we're smart. We can react to just about anything. But um, it's the communication that that keeps that from sneaking up on you. Yeah, I will, I, I will echo that. I mean, the work that, that Matt and his team and, and Linda Ross and Neil have done to really elevate the voice of medical product manufacturing and distribution on the Hill is, and the amount of time they've done it has just been remarkable. So um, kudos to, to the manufacturers that participate and the distributors that participate in that group. 
And these, you know, long-time relationships, these long-standing relationships you have Bibron and C and Haida and all the other big manufacturers out there and distributors and organizations. It's so important. Joe, could you give some insight on how these years of partnership proved to be a foundation for successful management? Yeah, I think um, trying to establish a relationship um, in, in bad times is very difficult. Okay, so the first time you hear from me shouldn't be when there's a fire. Right. Um, I, I, should, I should know you. So I think one of the, and again, this goes back to um, a great leadership and, and good relationships uh, at, at NDC, but, um, you know, early on uh, when this hit, one of the first people I picked up the phone and called was Mark Seitz because I, I know him well. I've known him for a long time. I know he's over an organization that's in the middle of this, and I just called him up and it was like, hey, what are you seeing? Here's what I'm seeing. Or is there anything that you don't have of ours? Is there anything you need us to do more of? And he was asking similar questions back. And at a minimum early on, it was just, a, okay, I'm not crazy. You're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Because you just didn't really know. Like, is this really going on? You know, I, I thought I was going home for a couple of days, like a snow day. And a year later, we're still not back in the office. So it's really been a lot of having to communicate with multiple people. And, you know, Mark's just one of many. Um, that we know, and I have a, I have a distribution team that that's all they do. They they are focused on our distributors and uh, and those relationships, and so they they fanned out and and they were having conversations uh, also to make sure that we were doing everything we could do to to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Yeah, it's it's the old saying, right? You put enough smart people in one room, and they will figure it out. Absolutely. It's just so, you know, telling how much of a relationship the healthcare industry is because of what you just said and how much that helped within this pandemic, just those connections and those friendships even, just being able to call someone up and say, What is going on? Can you can you give us some insight? Those are so important, especially in a global pandemic, something we've never seen before. Yeah. And I will say it goes all the way down to for, for our organization, it goes to the mic to the rep level as well. So you know, my reps, um, they're, they're responsible for their hospitals. Um, and while I'm looking at things big picture uh, and working at a high level like that, it's, it's still the rubber meets the road at our end user. And so our reps are talking to, to the NDC reps and making sure that specific hospitals are being taken care of and the specific outpatient surgery centers, whoever needed product, the, the initial, a lot of times the, the connection is at the rep level. That's who they call. That's who they know, and then you know the information starts to come in, and then we're, we're we've hopefully reacted at a higher level to make sure everything's in place for them to get what they need when they need it. But the, that 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 interaction, I, I can't say enough about how important it is. Truly, well, Joe Grispo, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Parcels of Info. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. Just getting your insight and your expertise. It was absolutely a pleasure. Anytime and always good to see the legend uh, in person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're too kind. And thank you, Liz. This was this was great. And it, it really is a testament to, to people coming together to solve something that nobody ever thought would happen. 
Absolutely. And thank you to the legend Ian for joining us uh, on the first co-hosted episode of Parcels of Info. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Parcels of Info, and NDC podcast, our most efficient way to deliver parcels of valuable information straight to the healthcare supply chain. Don't forget to subscribe, 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 like, share, send to a friend, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.